You're listening to the Exchange Place Podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Exchange, where our hearts, souls, and ears come together for reciprocity and transformation. I am your host, Deborah Faith, and when we get together, we explore topics that help us to better understand ourselves and one another. The Exchange is my personal invitation for you to take inventory of your life. This is our space to be free, vulnerable, transparent. So live in it, learn from it, invite others to it, and most of all, protect it. Take care of it and it will take care of you. Exchange Place Podcast, y'all. Hey, y'all. It is your host, Deborah Faith. And I know y'all looking like, who? Ain't nobody in the room with me today, but I have an amazing guest for you. But he's virtual today. Um, I just want to welcome Leon R. Walker to the show. That you accepted my invitation to come and just share. Um, I really wanted to talk about this topic because I feel like it's something that we've been seeing a lot in social media. People have been throwing around the term narcissist. And I just wanted to learn more, and I wanted to share with the audience um, someone who specialized in that area. So um, welcome to the show, and, and I'm so happy to have you. Thank you, Deborah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, I'll, and I just want to tell this this season of uh, my podcast. I've been meeting so many people that aren't necessarily in Jersey, but I thought that would be a great benefit to my audience. And I've been following you on social media for quite some time. Um, and I thought it was very interesting of just how you are helping people um, identify people who have who are narcissistic or have narcissistic tendencies and kind of walking them through that. But I really wanted to talk about you and your past and how you even got to be doing and serving people in the way that you are. So can you just kind of tell us how you got to this place and how you got to this point of being able to serve people in this particular area? All right, sure. You want me to start with how my mind got to this place? Yes, or? let's start there. That's always, right? That's always the place <laughs> to start. All right. It was a very, very um, unfortunate and unique situation. What happened was we were deployed uh, to the Persian Gulf in 1987. I was 21 years old. Mm-hmm. Um I joined the Navy in 1983, and at this time I had been in uh, right about almost four years. And so um, I was 21 years, seven months, 21 and a half years old. Essentially, when everybody joins the Navy, they become a firefighter, okay? Um, we have to go through the, through the schools, the training to prepare in case there's a fire, mm-hmm. a mishap, a collision, an injury. We're trained in, in um, first aid and all of those things. So what happened was we deployed... Um, to the Persian Gulf in 1985, and we were at the southern part of the Persian Gulf uh, patrolling it. And there are other naval vessels in the Persian Gulf. The Persian Gulf, is, I think it's about 600 miles long, somewhere in there. 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, May 17th, our captain got on our the, the PA system. When we're out, when we're patrolling, we're just going up and down the Persian Gulf. The, the, the seas are calm. It's about 130 degrees, 120, 130 degrees in the daytime. At nighttime, it drops to 80 and it feels it feels cold. And so we're just patrolling about, working out, playing dominoes, playing spades, watching TV. Uh, this is in 87, so we didn't have, um, I don't even think we had, we didn't have email. We definitely didn't have text messages. We just worked with mail and telegrams and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so May 17th, around 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, I was in my rack. And normally when the captain comes on the 1MC, which is the, the announcement system, after 10, after 10 o'clock, which is considered taps, when he does that, it's something, something good, bad, or something that's changing our schedule. Uh, at this time, it was extremely bad. If you get a chance, when we get off of here, look up the USS Stark, S-T-A-R-K, USS Stark, mm-hmm. bombing. He said, gentlemen, let me have your attention, please, so we ship gets quiet. Uh, the USS Stark has been hit by two missiles, and we have been tasked to proceed north in the Persian Gulf to render assistance. Wow. And so I'm like, whoa. And so my friends, hurry up, come to my right. Walker, get ready, man. You know, we're going. Every ship has three or four different fire parties, maybe more. And so my fire party was chosen that night. So we got up, you know, got out of my rack, my bed, getting our equipment prepared. We hit north. We were doing about 25 knots, which is about maybe 28, 29, 29 miles per hour, uh, to uh, en route to the USS Stark. We get there. The ship is leaning and it's sinking. It didn't sink. Uh, the man had fought this fought the ship violently throughout the night. By the time we got there, it had been 12 hours that it had been fighting the fire. So the ship was hit by two missiles from an Iraqi uh, fighter jet. Mm-hmm. One missile didn't explode, but one did. When it did explode, it killed 37 men and it, uh, it almost sunk the ship. Oh, wow. Anyway, yeah, we, my fire party, my team, we get, they put us, every ship has like a, a, a life, a lot of life force, but this one has, we had a, a motorized lifeboat, so they lowered it. They put us in there, they lowered it, and we head into the USS Stark, which is about maybe a mile away. And we get there, we board the ship, the, the, the back. When you see the pictures of the Stark, you see it from the back and the side. But from the back, and when you're looking at the back of it, the right side is where we came up on, on board the ship. We got on there. I'm looking at guys. I'm terrified. I always want to be a hero. I always want to save somebody's life, but I didn't know that it would come in this capacity. Mm-hmm. And he's got bleeding, laying around, crying. And so we get in there and we just go to work. And so we found 37 men, but I had to literally peel one guy off the deck who was burned to death. I had to pick up another guy who um, obviously had got caught in the fire because his face, his face was burned off. His neck was wide open. One arm had been blown off. Uh, he still had on his uniform. And when I picked him up, he fell forward. He was tall and he fell forward and his face came like this close to mine mm. and there were no eyes no nose everything was de- it was everything was deformed this from the one. fire yeah. when a missile hits the ship it does many things it it it's it, it it throws a big fireball throughout the compartment in this compartment 55 men had lived in there and below the compartment another 55 men so there are three compartments on the ship that houses 55 men apiece mm-hmm. anyway any, everything in that compartment had been destroyed by the the ball of fire this missile particularly and so I put we put him in a body bag. We walked up for the fore part of the ship and found another young man burned to the deck. He was laying with his face down. We peeled him off. Half of his face came off. His arm came off. Jesus. Some of his skin. Um, continue walking around. I bumped into something because there's water on the ship now, probably two to three feet of water. Because not only is it sinking, 
Um, they're pumping water out while water's still slowly coming in at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I bumped into something. Another another body came up. And so um, I'm, I'm starting to lose my mind, Deborah. And I, I was always wanting to be a hero. But at this time, I, I just didn't think, didn't think I could handle it. So slowly but surely, I felt my, something leaving my body. I didn't know what it was. But I stopped, I stopped fearing where I was. We could have gotten hit by another ship, uh, another missile at the mm-hmm. time. And it would, the ship would have been would have sank. Uh, sunk and we've been died we've died of course mm-hmm. and so for the i spent 12 hours and myself myself and my fire team spent 12 hours on there and it was a time where i sat down and took a break from finding bodies picking up fingers picking up hands uh picking up bodies and i sat there and i just kept looking to my left because there were a stack of bodies like 34 more that i just kept staring at and i didn't fear it it didn't bother me anymore mm. i wasn't emotional and I felt weird and I couldn't say anything because other guys were crying, moping, you know, silent. But I was just sitting there and I kept looking at this stack of dead men. And so for 12 hours, I smelled burning flesh. Anyway, I moved forward. That night, they transferred us back to my ship around midnight. Mm-hmm. And um, this is where it all started. Um, when you leave the Persian Gulf, you, you do four months in the Persian Gulf. Then you, you go back out, you exit and you go. We're a West Coast ship. So our first um, port of entry was Hawaii for some rest and relaxation. Um, our fire team were, we were directed to go speak to a doctor, a psychiatrist. And I, at first I was like, why? It's like, because you guys need to process what happened. You that need to trauma. Yeah. yeah. And so I only one, and I'm like, I'm good. There's nothing wrong with Doc. He's like, Walker, there's something wrong with you. So at that point, that night, my nightmares had started. And I still have nightmares even to this day, every like after we're done talking to it tonight, I'll probably have nightmares talking about it. Tonight, I'll probably have nightmares because when I talk about it, it's one guy always comes to my, it comes to me in my dreams and my nightmares. It's the same guy that I picked up that fell forward and I mm. saw his face. I see that uh, when I start talking about it. So I told Doc, I said, Doc, I'm good. It wasn't a doctor at the time on the ship we had for him. And mm-hmm. so they said, when you guys, when we pull into a Y, you guys need to go check in with the psychiatrist. I didn't want to go. Um, I knew then I knew before I joined anybody had issues, but I really knew then because I couldn't sleep. I was having nightmares. I couldn't eat. All I felt was burning flesh for for the next few months. Wow. Um, so I see my first psychiatrist and I'm supposed to go there to talk about what transpired on the USS Stark. Mm-hmm. Instead, he started talking about my childhood. When you check into a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist or a social worker, you fill out paperwork as to why you're there. And 21 years old, I, I didn't even know what to tell him. But I told him that my ship had sent me here. And so instead of us talking about the USS Stark, we started talking about my childhood. And that's when I, everything started coming out about um, dealing with avoidance, missing my mom, mm-hmm. being emotionally detached, which was a part of me being on that ship. I was emotionally detached when I told you I didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. And amongst those 12 men, I just didn't feel anything. I was there to help them and rescue them, but they were already dead and gone. Yeah. And so... Um, he talked about my childhood, my parents' divorce. Uh, he talked about me being molested in the first grade. He talked about my, we talked about my addictions to porn at, at, at seven years old. We talked about losing my virginity at eight. We talked about my uncle um, touching me uh, from ages 10 to 11 off and on. There was never wow. penetration. But he, he would always, when my parents would leave, he would always come up the stairs or maybe go upstairs, put vaccine on his hands and put his hands in my pants. And fondled me. And so we talked about all of that. He asked me about my relationships now. And I told him I was like, I got a girlfriend, but I, you know, 
I told him I was upset with my mom for leaving me and my dad was an alcoholic. All kind of stuff came yeah. out. He said, young man, I'll tell you, uh, you're going to have a hard life with it. You're going to have a hard life ahead of you with this narcissistic personality you have. And I didn't, the boy, I didn't even know what it meant. I had no idea. All wow. I heard was order. That's all I heard. So- I know what he told me, but that's what I processed. And so at the time, I'm like, what did my parents do to me? Did they give me a broken brain? And so I love the Navy very much, right? And I was due to reenlist December 21st of 1987. We had pulled back into San Diego uh, around October, November that year of 1987. Mm-hmm. And I went back to see another psychiatrist because I had to do my follow-on treatment after he diagnosed me and put it in my medical record. So can I I ask you something um, before you can continue? So at at 21, this is what year? You said 1985? 87. Okay. So, and I had to think, because I'm thinking, I'm just literally learning the term over the last couple of years, narcissist or narcissism and it being like a personality disorder. I had never heard that, let alone know that, of course, it was something that has gone back to 1987. So continue. I just I just wanted to say that because I know as the listeners are listening um, for most people and I don't want to put I don't want to put my experience on everyone, but I feel like I felt like it was more of a new terminology and something new. I didn't realize they had gone back that far. Wow. Yeah. It's go, it goes back to the biblical days. And mm. so um, now, you know, he tells me that. And I thought my, my parents gave me a broken brain. I didn't know what to do. He said, you'll never be able to change this young man. There's no medication for it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I get back to the ship after I'm seeing a psychiatrist now in San Diego. And it it destroyed me because I, I, I was fearful of my mind. You know, I thought I was crazy already. I thought I was losing my mind because of the Stark incident. And that's why I tell you that story. That's why that's that's where it initiated from. And so I love the Navy very much, but I went to back, back to my ship and I told my my boss at the time and said, Hey, I'm I'm not re-enlisting in the Navy. I'm I'm getting out, I'm going home. Mm-hmm. He's like, You son of a you know, he get mad because when you re-enlist in the Navy, there's a lot of paperwork involved. There's another physical that you have to take. And I didn't want to take any more physicals. I don't want to hear this word again. So I Again, that's when we talk about avoidance. I just decided to avoid re-enlisting and avoided the Navy. Mm-hmm. And I, have, I was living with a girlfriend at the time. I moved her from Cleveland to San Diego, and I left her there. I told her I would be back, but I, I left San Diego and just went home. I just Wow. Left. So did you Let ever me. share with her what that doctor has shared with you, or did you share with anybody what that doctor had ever shared with you? The first time I shared this with anybody, DeBoer, was last year, last June. And wow. so I told my girlfriend, so she was in San Diego working. We, we had an apartment. We didn't have any children. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, I'm going back to Cleveland. She thought I was coming back. I eventually came back, but I didn't make plans to come back. I was just leaving. I was running away from the Navy. I was running away from my relationships. And then almost 30 years later, I go through therapy for the second time. This was therapy at 21. And, you know, at 21, I was ashamed to tell my friends what what I, what I found out about myself, mm-hmm. and I knew they would laugh at me because we were young, we were silly, we were you know we would always joke people about being crazy in the military, and we and it came back around to me. Um, that was my karma, <clears throat> I suppose, but I couldn't tell my friends what was wrong, what was wrong. So when I decided to get out the navy, everybody was shocked. My parents, my friends, they're like, "What happened? What's wrong? You guys, yeah. my ship was." When we deployed, uh, when we rescued those, well, we rescued the ship. The men had died. 
but we were in the news and everything. My family was calling, congratulations. They had no idea that I, my mind was, I felt like my mind was destroyed and I was coming home. Yeah. And so I left first sitting in our apartment, went back to Cleveland, sat down in Cleveland for 87 days in my dad's house. And a recruiter called me and asked me if I wanted to come back in. I was afraid to tell them I did want to come back in, but I thought I'd had to go through another physical mm-hmm. and I didn't want to, to, to I didn't want the, the psych to see another psychiatrist to talk about my personality disorder. And I was like, oh, let me think about it. So I called them back and they came and got me. I re-enlisted in March of 88 and came back in. I was out for 77 days. Moving forward, the reason why I started talking about this is last year I was um talking to a lady. And she was well-versed in narcissism. The mm-hmm. boy, I, I, honest to God, <clears throat> up until last year, I had no idea that it was so widely spoken about. I had no idea that it was trending. None at all. Mm-hmm. I didn't know people were talking about the silent treatment, gaslighting, the breadcrumbing, the shunning. I didn't. I had no idea. And so we were talking about it, and, like, and I kind of froze. I'm a very social, outspoken, manly, masculine type of dude. Mm-hmm. And I froze when she brought it up. It's like, Wow, Leon, it looked like you saw a ghost. And I was like, yeah, you brought something out of me that I I guess I can talk about. She's like, what? And I started telling the same story. She said, wow, why don't you just do a video about it? And I was like, no, nah. <laughs> <laughs> no. And so I did my first video last June. I think it was June or July. And uh, Erica Campbell, the, the, the singer, gospel singer, uh-huh. some kind of way. And I did the video and within a few minutes and I posted it. And I went to bed and next morning I was getting all these phone calls and people like congratulate me. I'm like, what are, you, what, are you, what are y'all talking about? And they said, Erica Campbell just posted your video and it went viral. And I was like, what? What video? I didn't know. Yeah. What are talking about? Because I posted other videos, but it was, never, it was never about narcissism. That was my first one. And so it went viral and I was like, oh, well, here we go. So now the cat's out the bag. My Family knew, uh, my exes knew, my ex-wife knew, my ex-girlfriends knew. None of them knew up until last year. So wait, so everybody prior to last year that had been in relationship with you, none of them were aware that you had this personality disorder. So did it make sense? Like, did they reach out to you? Did did it make sense to them of, like, what they had experienced in those relationships with you? So so what was happening throughout my relationships from my first one was in 87 mm-hmm. and all out of all the women I dated and slept with from 87 up until I guess last year right they were all most of them would say Leon there's something wrong with you you tripping why do you do this why do you do that why do you you mm-hmm. know because I was always like distant I was always off-putting I was gaslight I was doing everything they're talking about now I was doing that in my 20s the boy mm. but I didn't know that there was, I knew it was, I knew what my personality disorder was, but I didn't, I didn't, I never looked up different terms associated with it, but I was doing it and I was feeling good about it. It didn't bother me. And I was, you know, doing the gaslighting and and the ghosting and all of the disappearing acts. And I was doing everything, but my girlfriends would always say it's something wrong. And I would get upset because I I didn't disclose it to them. Um, I was afraid that they would walk away, but I was doing a walking away. And it was like, I got to walk away before you walk away from me, or either I won't tell you about me. Mm. And so nobody knew. Um, no, the great question. Nobody knew about it, not until last year. And so wow. they would all, and then I got a few calls like, Leah, Leanna, you know, when we dated back in the 90s, I knew something was going on with you because you would just disappear and pop up. And one, one lady told me, she said, you were like a jack in the box. She said, we were dating, you would disappear, and you would pop up at a restaurant and see me. and that was the that was the, the Hoovering type of thing. All these these titles associated with it, 
I was doing it back then, but I wasn't calling it anything. I was just doing me. Wow. So after you, I guess, had the exposure, the video that you made, was it just telling, A, this is something that you deal with? Or what it, what what was the actual vi- video encompassing of? Was it telling people or warning them of warning signs of kind of what yeah. you have been doing? Okay. So what it was, it was about videos of, um, a video about narcissistic traits mm-hmm. or narcissistic people. And this is what you're dealing with. And I, I went into character because I can go in and out. And women were like, you tricking me. You son of a, you know, calling me names. You make my skin crawl in. I hate you. You remind me of my ex-husband. And so it was a video depicting actually who I was and what I've been doing for for so many years. Yeah. And and she shared it. And another lady shared it. All women were sharing it. It just took off. And because it was real creepy video. Um, yeah, it was very triggering. It was alarming. It was um, very uncouth. It, was, it unearthed a lot of things. And then it started taking off. But I didn't yeah. know that talking about I had no idea the board no idea so once you once you started talking about it how has that I guess how has that changed how you function in general for other people who have this personality disorder because something that you said that I was thinking of like how long you've kind of been suffering in silence of how you know along with probably the people that you're also injuring out there or were injuring at that particular time but like for yourself, just holding that secret, not being able to share that with anybody, that must be that that's that has to be a lot. You know what I mean? To know that something is wrong, not know or have a, a doctor at some point at 21 tell you, OK, there, there's no medicine to fix this. And you just kind of living with that, but never knowing how to cope with it or deal with it. So what has changed, I guess, from that from that particular video till now and what you're doing to help other people through narcissism? So before I get to what has changed, mm-hmm. um, I never, I blocked out the fact that there was something wrong with me. Um, mm. I I didn't look at it as a disability. I didn't look at it anymore as a disorder. Okay. I get that. I, I, I have that ability to do that. I get that from my mother. There's a lot, there's a lot about me that's directly um, attached or attributed to my mom or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so I have the ability to separate myself from reality and actually believe it. Um, I did that for many years. Um, it, it, it helped me. It hurt me. Uh, it made me feel good. It, it made me feel confident. It, it boosted my self-esteem because I would tell myself something and then morph into it and then become that person. Uh, so I became very successful. Yeah, wow. I would create. So how 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 did that look? Can you explain when you say you morphed into that person? You would tell yourself basically a lie about where you were or what was going on at that particular time, and then just kind of play into that character. Yeah. So mm. it's like if if I was upset with the woman, they say narcissists don't have feelings. We have feelings. If I was upset with the woman, I would create something in my mind that she did but didn't do and actually believe it so that I can do wrong, that I can cheat, that I can accuse her of doing something that she didn't do and make her think like she was going crazy. And I would put put I would put so much energy and effort and, and motivation into it that it seemed like it was true. In my mind, it had to be true because I didn't want to feel any hurt or pain. I didn't want to get caught in any lie. That's why narcissist people lie all the time because we, did, we refuse. We don't like to lose. It hurts to lose. It hurts to be rejected. And so before that come out, come about, mm-hmm. I'm going to reject her. Um, <clears throat> and I tell women this, they have to leave out 
the relationship as a winner. They have to leave on top. They have to leave with something, a trophy that they have from you to, to, to feel like they, they, they were successful in either discarding you, rejecting you, hurting you, or, or, or driving you nuts. You know, so it was a win. It was always like I had to have this winning attitude, which I took into my job as well to create things that people didn't think other people can do, but then I would do it. And that was a work. That was my work life balance, imbalance to mm-hmm. be successful at work, to try to be successful in a relationship at the same time through lies, but through work, it was creating something that I didn't think I could do or other people could do. And I would do it. I told myself, I'm going to drive myself insane trying to figure this thing out, trying to do some, trying to win recruiter of the year, trying to win sailor of the year. And I would always win because I was always, that made me delve into my father's personality, which he had a very extreme personality, mm-hmm. uh, uh, overbearing personality. My mother had a very addictive personality. So for some odd reason, I was able to switch in and out of those personalities. Like I think a lot of people can do, we just don't do it. As men, we're monsters, so we just reside in our dad's genetics and DNA, not mm-hmm. knowing that we can we have our mother's genetics and DNA too. And so in a relationship, um, I knew that I would one day walk out of a relationship, or if I stayed up for stayed for a long time, I was, eventually was going to cheat. And it was only a matter of a few months. If I stay for years, within the first few months, I'm gonna cheat because I'm gonna get I'm gonna start to get bored with her because in the beginning, this is what they talk about narcissistic people do. Mm-hmm. We go all in everything the the love bombing the the compliments the the plans you know the actions the sexual being very seductive being very manipulative through seduction being very vindictive through manipulative and seduction all of those things they kind of like work hand in hand and so i was able to do a lot of things create uh, i was able to study women in porn to hurt women outside of porn so that's how I became very seductive and manipulative through seduction with women. Mm-hmm. I knew their bodies more better than they did. And I had, I did that to hurt women because my cousins hurt me. My babysitter hurt me and my mother hurt me. So my thing was, I wasn't a physically hurt, a physical type of hurt person, but I was mentally hurting women through verbal abuse and mental abuse. And so now moving forward to answer your question in further detail is that, um, through therapy is when I started, became, when I became aware and, when I had clarity, I already knew who I was, but I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing. I was holding in a lot of pain, a lot of anger. I was upset because I was neglected and abused and, abused and nobody helped me. I blame my parents for everything. Mm-hmm. I blame my parents for being in the bed from the kindergarten to the seventh grade. I blame my parents for making me sleep on the floor. They weren't neglecting and abusing me. I was neglecting and abusing myself because I was abused and I didn't process it. I should have been in therapy as, uh, from the first grade on, yeah. but I never went. And so it became, um, I, beca- I became, I got into survival mode um, mm-hmm. for many reasons because I didn't want to hurt any, didn't want to hurt anymore. I didn't want to be discarded. When you're discarded as a kid, it's easy to discard people as a, as an adult because yeah. you kind of like move those emotions of love. I never wanted to love. I never wanted to be in love. I wanted to be in lust. And so when a woman asked me, Leon, do you love me? I would always say, yeah, because that was a way of keeping her. But I lied. I didn't love. I didn't know how to love. I didn't feel it. It was lust. And so I'm helping people understand not only what their man or woman is doing, but why the people are doing what they're doing. It it is directly rooted rooted to our our childhood and what we didn't process, what we didn't get help with, what we saw, what we didn't see, what we heard, what we didn't Mm -hmm. We needed, but didn't get. So moving forward, yeah, I do this to help people. I do this to 
um, equip people. I was never equipped as a child. I was only equipped through therapy when she made me realize why I was doing what I was doing. Yeah. So when you say you didn't have the, the, the ability to love women in those relationships, but they thought you were in love with them, correct? Like they, yeah, I, I showed them what they what they wanted based on what they told me because I became a great listener wow. through through manipulation from my own greed and lust. Mm-hmm. So I knew I could tell a woman I love her and then hold her hands for a few seconds and it, it wouldn't feel good to me because I, would, I always felt like if a woman was holding my hands or wanted to hug or cuddle, it felt like I was suffocating. And so mm-hmm. I didn't start hugging women and enjoying hugging until I was in therapy in, in 2015. Um, wow. I worked at base. We we employed ten thousand people, and it was funny because all the white women would want to hug when we would go see them at their different jobs on base. That was part of our job to visit people and talk and make sure they had everything. Hey, Leon, good morning. Come give me a hug, and I would instantly go. Ugh. And so they just kept hugging me and hugging me. It was just it was just consensual. It wasn't. It was just platonic. Yeah, just a hug. Just a hug. So, Were you yeah, hugged as I, a kid, or did you feel like that as a kid, like being hugged, or you just? Is that so, something that developed later on? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying to also tie that into, you know, people's childhood. Like, is it possible when you're not hugging your kids or people are being touched because you mentioned to being molested, being touched in the wrongful way that that translate later, that, that translates into your life later on? Yeah, because what, trans, what translated into my life later on was my ability to detach, my ability to avoid feelings and emotions, my ability, my inability, my ability to not get close to any woman, my mm. inability, my ability to um, make myself feel like, you know, I have, I cannot get too close to her. At the same time, I wanted her to be close to me for controlling and domineering and dominate purposes mm-hmm. because I had to lure her in and reel her in, make her feel good, make her feel happy, make her uh, feel extremely emotional in a good way. So that when it was time for me to leave, I can do it with ease. Wow. Can I ask you a question? What did your what did your friendships look like, like with other men or just not not with women? Did you see those traits still come up in those like just a platonic relationship? Were you still kind of keeping yourself, you know, far enough away or guarded to a certain extent um, no. In those relationships, or are you no. more open in those areas with friendships? I was more open in, with my buddies because they were just like me, but they were undiagnosed. Oh. This hence why a lot of people now are like, "Ooh, I get men from Brazil, from Australia, from New Zealand, all over the world." Say, "Hey, man, I just watched your video, man. You you you're describing me? They can't even tell. They can't even tell their wives or girlfriends or kids." But my buddies, no, it was funny to us because we would all do the same thing. But I just had the, the disorder, diagnosis order. They were doing it, but they had been hadn't been diagnosed. That's why I'm not a therapist. I'm like a, I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not qualified to diagnose anyone, and I would ne- never do that. Mm-hmm. But I can people hang around people long enough to know that, dude, you need to go get checked out. You know, because a lot of my friends were. Um, we were doing the same thing. So it was like an ease of comfort type of thing. It was like, uh, it's, you know, not misery loves company, but happy happiness loves company because we make another woman miserable, you know? Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, my buddies were like to say birds of a feather flock together. And mm. it's so true. And it was like a comfort thing. It was like, 
I didn't feel bad or wrong when we were doing what we were doing. Uh, it just felt so right, you know? Mm. So fast forward, have you, just quick question. Have you, have you been married before? I was married for 12 years. Wow. Yeah. Can we, can we talk about that a little bit? If you don't mind. Yeah. So in your marriage, did your, did your, did your wife, your wife had no idea. Cause you, you said that you never disclosed that. So what did that relationship look like for 12 years? She always taught, she, she always told me that I was dysfunctional. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was, when she would say that, I would think to myself, you have no idea. <laughs> You're right, but you have no idea how dysfunctional I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing about being a narcissistic person in the military is that you have to be very careful because um, with all the things as far as like being, you know, manip- manipulative, um, seductive, um, grandiose, um, covert, overt, whatever the case may be, um, what comes with that is wanting to be admired. What comes with want to be admired, you have, you have to do something to be admired. And so I was doing all these things, winning all these awards, getting promoted, uh, getting awarded, getting rewarded. I was also very verbally abusive. And um, being in the military, we deploy. So my wife saw me a lot and didn't see me a lot at the same time. Um, we had some arguments. I had a lot of infidelity. Mm-hmm. And so that was that drove a wedge between her and I for a very long time. I'm telling this because deploying and being in the military saved my marriage for as long as it did, uh, because it was an, also an image. And when you go through divorce while you are moving up in the ranks, you might have you may be um, required to attend anger management classes, which I weren't wasn't required, but I should have. Mm-hmm. You're required to go through marriage counseling. And you have to let your job know. Back then, uh, when I was moved up in the ranks, it was to me, it was kind of like, well, to a lot of people, it's like taboo to report that you're having family issues, you're having a crisis, you have to go to anger. Those things will hurt your evaluation. Eventually, it could. Okay. Um, the word gets out. So I had, I couldn't, the arguments were were, were obvious. The, the, the ghosting of my wife was obvious. The side of treatment of my wife was obvious. But my work didn't didn't know about that because I can go again, like I told you, like my, I was like my mom, I can go to work like nothing happened mm-hmm. and be a leader, uh, very, very, very extremely successful and then come home and, and be a horrible husband and a horrible father. So it was like night, night and day, Dr. And Jekyll. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I kept them separate. Uh, my wife was wasn't the kind of woman that would fly off the handle and make things obvious. When we were together at a function, we looked like the perfect family, but we weren't. Wow. When we were to dinner or when I brought her along for my single year banquets and all this stuff, when I was getting awarded, rewarded, because she would always like, congratulations, but it was always short-lived because she knew deep down inside that at home I'm a different person. And at work, when she's seen that people are shaking my hand and giving me hugs and I'm getting these trophies, I could just see it in her face, like, you don't deserve that. Because, you know, you're not even that dude. But yeah. she knew. But I was able to say married because I didn't want to make it obvious that I was having marital issues. Gotcha. So what What finally ended, that's a, 12 years is a, is a long time. What finally ended that relationship where where she was like, no more, or you were like, no more? What finally ended that since you guys were kind of... In that. It was kind of mutual. I went. Uh, I was in Virginia, and I went home October of 05. Mm-hmm. And 
wasn't there. It wasn't there before that. It started off years ago when I cheated and it just didn't get better. We, we remained together and she tried to hold on to the marriage longer than I did. And so in 05, I went home and then it just wasn't there. Sexually, we weren't compatible. And then in, in March of 06, she filed for divorce. I told her, I just like told her I wanted a divorce. I was always really in a bad way, good at saying things to hurt a woman. It didn't no matter how bad it hurt her, I would say it. Um, like, you know, I don't like you anymore. I don't, I don't love you. Uh, uh, I'm not into you anymore. I'll, I never said it to my ex-wife, but I did tell her I wanted a divorce through an argument that I started <clears throat> and which perpetuated the um, divorce moving forward, which perpetu- perpetuated many things, the arguments, the um, accusing her, falsely accusing her, you know, starting arguments just to get upset because I didn't, I wanted to hurt her first. And so I told her I, I want a divorce. When she said, uh, you know, when I got the divorce papers in April of 06, it, I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. Men, mostly men say these things. I want a divorce. I want to get the hell out of here, blah, blah, blah. But when it happens, it's like, ooh, you know, we weren't, we don't have an exit plan. Women have an exit plan. Women mourn, then they leave. Men leave, then they mourn. And so I told her I want a divorce and she obliged and I got the papers in, Mar- in April of 06. And that's when it started. It was, it was needed for me. Yeah. Because uh, I, I wasn't getting any better. I didn't get any, I didn't even enroll in therapy until, uh, maybe another nine years wow. beyond or what sent you to therapy i'm curious okay so this is what happened this is why a lot of people don't go through therapy mm-hmm. because there's nothing connected to it for me so <clears throat> and and i didn't even realize this deborah but until a few months ago in august of 2014 Last last year, I started going through my medical record to read what the psychologists and psychotherapists had said about me. Yeah, and I was, oh, because they take notes. Okay. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> I got you. Okay. A lot of notes, and so I'm sitting there. I, so I got my medical record right here, and look at this thing. Wow! Wow! I just decided to open it up, and I didn't realize that in August 2014, I walked into a psychotherapist's office. I didn't know. I didn't even. I didn't even realize I had sat with two psychotherapists. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Aside from the two psychiatrists, okay. And so I'm reading this, and I, I, she said, I, she said, it's called PT. Patient doesn't take therapy serious. He comes in, he sits around, and he leaves. So I sat in her office for 50 minutes, and I walked out, just like boom. Mm. I, it's in August. I went back in December 2014. And I sat in the psychotherapist's office for 18 minutes and I walked out and I'm reading all this thing. I don't even, I don't even remember going. Really? I, I do know those wow. two times. I remember going in 1987, but I don't remember going in 2000. I had no memory of or recollection of going and sitting there and walking out, being disrespectful and rude and mm-hmm. pissed off. He put all the notes in there. So anyway, I start my, I put me in, put up put in my request for retirement in January 2015, and you had to wait for a message to come back. The message came back, yeah, you can process for retirement. So when you process for retirement, you go get a full body physical, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I check into the VA. I'm like, bet. I go through the ear, nose, and throat. I talk to the dentist. I go to the chiropractor. I go to the neurologist, and I'm like, I'm out of here. They every everybody has to sign off this paperwork that you get, right? Mm-hmm. You get the sick. Gotcha. I go. Back, I go back to work. 
And my admin officer says, hey, good job, Master Chief, Mr. Walker. You got everything done. And she's going through my paperwork. Yeah, we can do this. We can do that. Got your physical done, blah, blah, blah. You need to go your transition class. You need to take that. And she said, wait a minute. Why didn't you go see the psychiatrist? And I was like, I ain't going back to see another psychiatrist. I said, I walked away from two psychotherapists and a psychiatrist. I'm not going back into psych- psychotherapy. And she said, well, we can't process your paperwork until you go back. She was real nice, soft-spoken. Yeah. And because she was nice and soft-spoken, I listened to her. Okay. Aww. And I tell women, you can get any man to listen to you. It all depends on your delivery. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I said, really? She said, yeah, just go over there and check in real quick and get him to sign to come back. And she had me believing. She made, she saved my life. Okay. She saved who you talking, who you speaking with now is because of her. Wow. I love that. Be- yeah. It's because of her. And I get chills saying that because had she not said it to me that way, I was always like, if a woman yells at me, you know, my mother didn't yell at me. My mother left me. So you shouldn't yell at me. You, you don't deserve the right to yell, blah, 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 blah. You don't talk to me like that. I was shut down. I would become very, 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 very evil in any way that I, that I could grasp onto to hurt her. So anyway, she said, yeah, just go back over there and check in and come back and get them the psychiatrists to sign off and we'll process your stuff and we can get you retired. I know you're ready to go. <laughs> yeah. You know, he pumped up and I knew that. Um, and so I was always meeting force with force. And so it wasn't that case at the moment. And I'm like, all right. So the VA was only four minutes from my job. I drive back over there. I walk in and I'm ashamed because I'm like, yo, man, at the front desk, yo, man, what is psych for that dog? You know, he like, master chief, we call it, uh, we call it inpatient. I'm like, inpatient? He's like, yeah, just go in, check in and just sign your paperwork. You can get up out of your dog. I'm like, bet. Boom, bam. I go up there, fifth floor, get on the elevator. Bling. Elevator comes off. I come up, elevator stops, door opens. I get out, walk to the left. I go see a sign, psychiatric ward, inpatient. I check in. I fill out the paperwork. I sit down, and within moments, number 401, Mr. Walker, looking around. Now, there's a lot of people in there, and they're all in there, like, laying on the couch, sleep. I'm like, what the hell is going on with these people? Little did I know, I, I was about to be one of them. <laughs> and so they got the hats on. You're not supposed to have a hat inside in the military. Mm-hmm. They're like, looking like they're in a trance. And so I get up. Hey, come on in. Doc's waiting on you. I'm like, waiting on me? Like, oh, I'm in here, in here? <laughs> like, oh, I'm in, in? So. Wait, you had I, to stay there or it was just like an appointment? <laughs> it went from an appointment to extended inpatient therapy. Wow. Didn't have to stay in there. But I know, but I was, it was, I had to come back often. And so we sit down and she's like, uh, have a seat, young man. She's like, I'm going through your record. And uh, I said, I already know. I, I know where you're going. I know where you're going. And so uh, she got started on me and I never walked out of her office because mm. of her delivery and how she spoke to me. Um, looking at my medical documents, I would go in there like gangster, smelling like cigarettes, like chewing on straws in uniform, just ghetto. Like, <laughs> I'm, 
tired. It's over with. I don't need this. And she's like, have a seat, young man. We have a lot to talk about. And I was in there. The boy, it was one of the, it was the greatest thing that happened to me, but it mm-hmm. was extremely painful because I had to sit there through that negative vibration and listen to her, like, just tell me about myself. You need to stop dating. You know, you're over the top, you're harsh, you're overbearing, you're mean, you're arrogant. Mr. Walker, you need to stop those things. Why are these? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Boom. I'm crying. I hadn't cried in years up until that point. I mean, years. Yeah. I made other people cry. Right. Mm-hmm. And now it was Leon's turn to cry. Wow. So how long See, was that process of going through therapy with her? From January to August of 2015. Yeah. 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 And so she was a little bitty white lady, about four feet, maybe 4'10", maybe 100 pounds. She always wore black. And I was like, oh, what is this lady's into gothic, gothic, or what, gothic, (laughs) Wiccan? What the heck's going on? But she was stern. She was, so a lot of times she triggered me because she would act like my wife was, my wife was very, like, um, stern. Mm -hmm. Rightfully so. And I was in there thinking about my wife at the time. At the time, it's my ex-wife. Um, how easy my ex-girlfriends were, how tough my wife, ex-wife was, uh, my mother leaving me, you know, how overbearing my dad was, you know, what happened to my uncle? Why did he touch me? Who touched him? Why did my babysitter take my virginity at eight? Why did my brother show me porn at seven? Why did my cousins molest me in first grade? Why did we lose our house? Why did my mother start getting high? Why did my dad start drinking alcohol? Why did my dad tell me he loved me? Why did my dad beat my mother? Why did my uncle beat up my mother? Why did my mother and my grandmother fight? Why did my grandfather disown my grandmother? Why did my grandmother disown my mother? It was, uh, it just all came out. I was about to say, like a a fountain of everything that you you had experienced. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I weighed 225 now. I weighed 225 then. I left out there felt like I felt like I weighed like 150 pounds. Yeah. All that weight of everything you've been carrying for all that time. Wow. Yeah. And so we talked about it. I had a lot of homework assignments. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm sitting here doing my homework, scribbling, taking a pen, digging into the paper. (laughs) You know, I was like, I can't do this. Ah! Yeah. And so it was funny to me. I'm like, man, this feels good. I'm starting to feel better. I felt like a different person. I felt new. I just want somebody to talk to. I was running away from Leon. I was trying to escape everything. Uh, Avoidance, emotional detachment, emotional dysregulation, just gone, leaving out of there. And I was doing that for many years. I had become comfortable with it, Mm -hmm. Deborah. It was the right thing for me, I thought, but I didn't. I never... She told me, she said, you never process anybody's hurt. I was like, she said, no. What about your kids? I was like, jeez, I never have. So when you don't process a person's hurt, you don't think they're hurting. At all. You have no, and this is why they talk about narcissists not having empathy. Mm -hmm. The the sympathy is removed too. I don't know why they don't talk about that. You know, yeah. I, I never saw my mother cry, even when she got beat up. And so when women, I'm going to tell you something. Mm-hmm. 
everything stems from our childhood, from our childhood. And so I would go back to instantly, if I made a woman cry, two things happened. I got upset or got turned on. I never saw my mother cry, so I didn't think a woman should cry. It was like, really? well, I didn't even punch you. My mother got punched. You didn't cry. Why are you crying? I just hurt your feelings. Or I just called your name. Or you just caught me. You didn't catch me cheating, but you think I'm cheating. Whatever. You don't know. You know, it was just like always yeah. off. Very, very, I was extremely nonchalant. Yeah. Extremely to the point of what woman wanted to freaking kill me. Like, you, I can't stand you. And I'd be like, yes, you can. You just don't like what I said. Wow. Come give me a type of, you know? Yeah. Mm. So after after therapy and I guess your journey to up to now to the man that sits before me and I'm speaking to now, like what is what is what does life look like now? I know you said that now dealing with the trauma, which I know for anyone who's ever for the listeners that that will listen to this. Um, you know, going through therapy is not, it's the best decision that you can make, <laughs> but it's not easy. I know people don't talk about the ugly parts and like, I'm so glad that you went through your ugly parts because I think we have to go through those places to get to another level of who we are and the best version of who we can be. Cause we're a lot of times we're carrying so much stuff, but like, where are you now and what are you doing now to not even rectify what you've done in the past, but to help people going forward? So now I, it's, it's, um, it's like a catch 22, right? Mm-hmm. I'll, I do my videos. Uh, I prepare my videos, um, before I post it. So it's like helping people, but it's alarming. It's triggering women too. Um, people like what I do. People don't like what I do. People like me more. People hate me more. People hate me for, for whatever reason. I remind them of the ex. Mm-hmm. Uh, I make them live things. It happens a lot when I, and it's not always bad. It's most of the time it's, a, it's, it's, I get it's good, good comments and stuff, yeah. but every now and then those few, you know, but now it's just, uh, I do a lot of reflecting. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of soul searching, uh, because it's, it's healing in that, uh, this is my therapy, making videos is my therapy. Also, I would, you know, some funny DeBoer <laughs> in my medical record, it says time period or time frame for therapy indefinite. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Indefinite. And so I didn't even know I started reading this stuff about me and I was like, oh God. Yeah. But anyway, um yeah, now it's I I'm, I'm, I have a lot of awareness and clarity of being able to process someone else's hurt when I do hurt them, if I do ever hurt women again. I'm not a cheater, I tell you that much. Uh the cheater, the cheating thing, I don't have the heart or nerve to do a lot of things that I was doing before the war. I don't. Yeah. Um before I had a lot of heart, a lot of nerve, a lot of energy and motivation to do a lot of wrong things, a lot of bad things. I had I didn't have a fear gene. It didn't bother me. Now, for some reason, I got this fear gene. You know, I don't want to hurt this woman or make her cry. You know, and so it's gonna be tough for me moving forward because women, know, everybody knows or follows me or or the videos gotten out. You know, mm-hmm. oh, or you know, can you date? Not yeah, I can do all of that. Yeah. Um, because I don't want to be that person anymore. <clears throat> I tell you something. It is too. It's too draining to be a narcissistic person. They may have never admit to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of thinking it's a lot of manipulating it's a lot of planning it's a lot of 
mental organizing and compartmentalizing. I was very wow. good at compartmentalizing. And my psychiatrist told me that too. I'm like, how did I learn how to do that? You know? And so my mother was good at it too, but it was a really draining life. And I don't, it's like, <clears throat> I don't cast it off and discard it because it's draining. I just don't like who I used to be. I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want the devil to have a hold of me anymore. I don't yeah. want the, the demonic spirits that I had anymore. Uh, I was very close to my demonic experience. I accepted them. I welcomed them into my life. I kept them. I held on to them and I used them. I don't want that anymore uh, because it comes with internal injuries. Yeah. It comes with internal injuries. I had a heart attack in 2013 and the doctors were like, well, it's because your cholesterol level and your artery was 75% clock. No, it's because I was breaking women's hearts. And so when you become close to God, he's going to tap you side the head. He's going to look out for you. But you gonna it comes with it comes with internal pain and injuries for a narcissistic person yeah. as well. You never hear this from those people because they're too proud to say it, um, don't believe it, but they know something's coming their way. And it comes with internal injuries, hurt, and pain. But we suppress yeah. it and it only gets worse. It gets better when you go through therapy and you start to release it, you understand, you start to apologize, you start to you know, have consideration too. I didn't have consideration for anybody's emotions and feelings. Yeah. So I, I thank you for everything that you've shared. It's been super informative to me, A, and I think I have a heart for both sides. Like I can't imagine from what you've experienced and what that's produced in you, um, as well as I know that, you know, during your journey, as most of us, we hurt people along the way. I mean, we do. Yeah. Um, but the awareness that you have of where you are now, like I literally applaud it. Um, I, I would love to know what... What words of wisdom would you have for someone who is right now um, a woman or man? Because women can also be narcissists. <laughs> we don't want to just always point at men. But um, what 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 words of wisdom would you have for someone who's right now in a relationship and listening to this is saying, hey, the person that I'm dating or the person that I'm with is a narcissist? What would you say to them? I would, it's, it, it's along the lines, well, words of wisdom mm-hmm. coupled, coupled with at some extreme, serious advice, extremely serious advice. If they do not sit down on a couch with a psychotherapist, a psychiatrist, or even let's go with a social worker, mm-hmm. they're not going to process your hurt, your pain. They're not going to be considered. They will continue to be inconsiderate and you will continue to feed into them. A lot of empaths are running to the ground, abused, misused, disrespected because of men and women like myself. Uh, Not being able to process somebody else's hurt or pain, not being willing to let go of their childhood issues, uh, their dysfunctions, not being able to let go of the anger that they had because their uncle touched them or their mother left them or their father beat them and they take that forward in their relationships. Some people are addicted to verbally abusing people. I was addicted to verbally abusing people. Mm. Some people are addicted to mentally abusing people. I was addicted to mentally abusing people. It made me feel good. So that person that's doing these things to you, whether it's a male or female, trust me when I tell you, I don't know them, but they like it and it feels good what they do to you. So they, they don't care the fact that you continue to come back, 
continue to cook for them, buy them clothes, shop for them, pay their bills, pick them up, drop them off, uh, stroke their ego. All you're doing is creating a bigger, stronger, older monster. Mm -hmm. And you will always be abused until that person gets help, gets killed, walks away, leaves you, uh, or you get divorced. Yeah, if they stay away, fine. They try to come back, don't let them. They have to sit down with somebody that they can listen to and tell them you have some personality issues that mm. you have to work on. There's no medication for this because if I keep staying with this woman and she's an empath and she's she's now addicted to my abuse, we have trauma bonded, I'm going to always be happy. She's going to always be unhappy. If this is a man, he's in a relationship with a woman that's like me, he is going to always be unhappy and push back on his heels and challenged. It's going to be a challenge to work with a woman like that. It's a challenge to work or be with a man like me. It's a challenge until you're able to, you're able to get clarity and awareness of who Leon is. And that's okay. what helped me out. Okay. Until then, it's not going, it's the, the, the relationship is going to be continue to be unhealthy on the rocks um, and in disarray and all over the place. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. Get help as well. Like, you know, for that person, get help or hopefully that person is at a place to get help. I thank you again for coming on and sharing and hopefully down the line, I can bring you back on um, to the show, but thank you so yeah. much for joining yeah. me today. And I appreciate you having me, but let me know, reach out. You want to do another? Let me know. I'll be here for you. Yeah. And I'm going to list all of your information. Can you just real quick um, before we um, shut down uh, for today or close out for today? Can you just share your information where people can find you and all of the work that you're doing? Because I know you're doing a lot of speaking engagements and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, first, they can find me on Google as Leon R. Walker Jr. There are a lot of Leon R. Walkers out here, but not many juniors. Um, my website is LeonRobertWalkerJr.com. Um, I'm on TikTok as Leon R. Walker Jr. I'm on Facebook as Leon R. Walker Jr. I'm on Instagram as Leon R. Walker Jr. And LinkedIn as Leon R. Walker Jr. Okay. But they Google me, everything will come up. Um, they'll find, you know, who I am, where I am, what I did. They'll, you know, they'll 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 get information about my retirement, my military career, my books, and all that stuff. So okay. Leon, you're easy to find. All right. Thank you so much. And we are done for the day. Or later. All right. Bye-bye.